0: How is this for a job description? I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Well, that's the want ad for the gospel salesman as presented by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10. You want to work for me, Jesus said, this is what it's going to be like. This is what the description of the job will be. Being a part of the marketing team for Christianity, putting it mildly, is hazardous for your health. In fact, uh, most of you know that it can get ex- very extreme, uh, One of the extreme examples, of course, three years ago when those three missionaries were martyred in Turkey. By the way, their court case is still pending, still delays in justice for their wives. The big question for Christians and onlookers alike is, where is God in all of the trouble and devastation? The explanation of choice that so many people want to cling to to somehow preserve the so-called tarnished reputation of God is that He is good and He is kind, but He is weak, powerless, or permissive. Many of you will also remember that was a few years ago when that massacre took place in Columbine High School. At that time, all kinds of people were offering their ideas and images of God and where was God in all of this. And One of the uh, journalists from the Charlotte Observer by the name of Jane Pope wrote this with reference to the young people that were slaughtered. God's plan was for the kids to live a long, loving, productive life. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold wrecked that plan. I don't know how that sits with you, but I find that very dissatisfying in terms of a description of God. She tries to protect his reputation, that God is kind and God is good, but frankly, let's face it, he's powerless to uh, a couple of madmen who went into a school and killed everybody. I I don't know how you feel as a parent, but I don't sleep at night if that's my vision of God. In fact... um, I don't find a God who's totally at the mercy of the free will of madmen or madwomen. In fact, um, it's not biblical and it's not satisfying. In the scriptures, I, I read something totally different in the description of God. In Psalm 33, for instance, verse 10, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, not just some, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength it cannot save. But here's something important. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. I hear of a God who is in charge of all things, but not a God who promises us something that's easy or an easy life. In fact, this same God, who it says at the end of that text, will deliver us from death, it also says he keeps us alive in famine. Not from famine, but in famine. Sometimes it's rough. Sometimes life is very troubling and perplexing. Sometimes there are long periods of distress and obstacle and opposition, and persecution, and tribulation, and trial. I read in my, my Bible over a few more p- pages to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 44. The picture of God presented by the prophets. In fact, he declares himself, verse 24, Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer... Who formed you in the womb. That God. The real one. Not the God who's characterized or described by journalists who don't know him. Or try to protect somehow a, a tarnished reputation they think he is bringing upon himself with all the trials and dev- devastations and tribulations in the world. But the God who speaks for himself. I am the Lord, he says, who has made all things. Who have stretched out the heavens who spread out the earth by myself who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers who says of Jerusalem it shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah they shall be built Of the ruins, I will restore them. Who says to the watery deep, Be dry, and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, the ruler of Persia, He is my shepherd, and I will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, Let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, Let its foundations be laid. Is this a God who's powerless and weak? although kind, a doddering grandfather who's at the mercy of the free will madness of people? I don't think so. I could go on and on and give you more examples. But can we put aside forever the idea that God is somehow kind and good but not strong, not capable, not powerful, at the mercy of the imaginations of crazy people. This is not the God presented in the scriptures. The God who will help you in trials and tribulations and troubles and obstacles and frustrations and physical weaknesses and, and sicknesses. And all that comes upon us is a sovereign God of the universe who formed you. Who's in charge of all things. Can I say that um, I want to share with you this morning from Second Thess- Thessalonians chapter one of this very issue of trials and troubles and tribulations that come upon us, that were foisted upon this baby church in Thessalonica. <laughs> it's kind of strange, you know, when you think about um, I suppose if I were the sovereign God of the universe which you should all be glad I'm not and I know you are glad I'm not you don't have to look at me like that I knew as soon as I said it I was going to get it so but I, I, I think if I if I found a, a group of people and I, I brought them into my heart and I brought them close to me, I would, I would baby them for a while. I would, I would make everything great for them. I, w- I would make, oh, life is so special that they could go around and say, you know, come to Jesus and everything will be just perfect. All of your trials and your troubles will go away. I think that's what I might do. Now, no, don't you like that? Don't you kind of like that heart? But God... God's ways are above our ways. And this brand new church found themselves right dead smack in the center of really serious persecutions and trials and tribulations and hassles. Loved ones passing away. They found themselves right in the middle of life. Just like you are. And uh, Paul writes, sends them an email, he, Silas, and Timothy, and it goes something like this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. You better underline that. Circle it. Highlight it. Whatever He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. I want to stop right there. We'll do the next two verses tonight. This is the Word of God. It was 51 AD. The backdrop for this particular letter uh, the setting is found in acts chapter 17 approximately verses 5 through 9 thereabouts and it says there that in thessalonica the jews were stirred up and they got some bad characters to go around and start hassling the church literally there it's a they got a to rent-a-mob to make life miserable for those brand new believers in jesus christ they found themselves under severe trial and tribulation and persecution and at every turn they had opposition and hassle. Now do any of you have that kind of situation in your own life? Anybody, any people around that are just driving you crazy, that are just obstacles in the way of, of what you believe God wants you to do? You, you don't have to tell me uh, because uh, you're, you're trying to preserve your, uh, your, your um, anonymity. No, no, I don't have any trouble. I don't have anybody bothering me. There's no hassles in my life, no trials, no tribulations. I, I know differently. We all know differently about each other. And, and so they, um, they were accused, of course, the Christians, the brand new believers, were accused of upsetting the apple cart. The way things work in society, at least in that society, in the culture and religious culture that they grew up in. Now, you all know, and if you don't, you need to know, that Christians face political, relational, economic trouble. Jesus makes dark living uncomfortable. He just does. And so when anywhere Christians are, there's going to be some sort of hassles in a political reality or in the relational reality or in the economic reality because Jesus Christ demands changes. so those changes often bring trouble into our lives. So I want to, um, from this text this morning, I want to sort of pull out four highlights, four truths uh, that are related to a couple of things. One, the fact that we live in a kingdom that's in conflict with the kingdom of evil. You know that, but we need to remind each other of that. You also need to be aware that there is future hope of justice. If you are feeling like, when is this going to end? When is justice going to come? When is righteousness going to be rewarded and wickedness finally be brought to account? If you're wondering about that, this text helps us with that. It also helps us that there are val- there there are consequences that will be taken into account. The Lord is not unaware of what's going on around you, in you, with regard to you. And then finally, the big hope at the very last couple of verses. There's this big hope of a, just a a wow event, and, and I I can't I can't actually describe it. I can't. I can't even, in the best of my imagination, give you some sort of picture of what the Apostle Paul lays out for us here at the very end of that section that I read. So I'll try. I'll do my very best when we get there. But but there's this there's this big hope of a of a just a wow event that puts everything in perspective. So as we embark upon this, I think the first. The first emphasis that grows out of this section is, is is about reality. We need a bit of a reality check. And, and reality is this for the Christian. As your faith is supersized and your love lands all over, persecutions and tribulations escalate. I think there's a connection here between the perseverance or the, the persecutions and the tribulations, the trials, and their faith and their love. I like how the Apostle Paul, he says, i got to boast about you people, he says. You are really living your Christianity out loud. It is apparent to everybody. You're the kind of people who I want to write home about. Wouldn't you want Jesus to to feel that way about Calvary Baptist Church? I just want to broadcast the reality of Calvary Baptist Church to all the other churches. I just want to boast and brag on you. I want to talk about your faith and I want to talk about your love. And we can't help but talk about you all over the place because in, in spite of severe tribulations and hassles and obstacles and, and things in the way of what, 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 uh, what you really believe God wants you to do, I'm telling you, you're persevering, your faith is growing, your love is growing. And, and he actually uses a description here about faith. He doesn't say your, your faith is just growing. I don't know, if I got an email about that, I guess, I suppose I'd be somewhat excited. Rick, you know what, we notice in your life your faith is growing. I'd be Well, that's, that's great, but that's not what Paul said. Paul basically uses an adjective that, that is a, ver- a, a, a real superlative, and, and the sense of it is, it's your faith is being supersized. Now I, I know they didn't have 7-Eleven Slurpees back then, but but you know when, when you go into the 7-Eleven and, and they offer offer you a, an array of drinks there, and you're looking at, at at what kind of Slurpee or what kind of smoothie you want to have, guys. You know you don't want you don't want the little communion size one Slurpee. You want the super size Slurpee, right? And you go to Mickey D's and they say, you want to upsize that thing? You know, I always want to upsize. I always want to upsize. Now I can't upsize so much, but, but I always want to upsize it. And this is what he's saying. This faith of yours is a supersized faith. This isn't the, the barely getting by kind of faith. This is, the, this is the, the kind of trust in God that I want to tell people about. This is a model of how to trust in God when trouble is coming your way. So that's the kind of faith you have. And by the way, this this supersized faith that that God grows in our lives when trouble is around us, it flies in the face of people around you. If you think you're going to get a lot of congratulations from anybody but the Apostle Paul, you probably won't. Because the supersized faith, you see, most people around you who don't know Jesus Christ, they're happy to fool themselves into believing that God is okay with them if they're okay with themselves. And then when they see how you rely on God, how, how your life unfolds, how, how, how all of these hassles are against you, and you, you still stubbornly trust in God, they start to realize, you know what, I'm feeling like I'm falling short of that kind of glory. It bothers them. You bother them. And it's not just outside people, people outside of faith that are bothered. Unfortunately, Christians get bothered by supersized faith Christians. Who do you think you are? You know, you're making me look bad, having that much trust in God. And People get jealous of you when you have a supersized faith. So you you get hassles from outside and hassles from inside. Who are you to trust in the Lord like that? You mean you're going to trust in the Lord for for that? That, That's that's way over the top. No, no, that's the kind of supersized faith that, that Jesus Christ wants us to have. He wants us to have total trust. if you do it right, you're going to face hassles. But you're going to receive commendation from the Lord. But you know what? Your circumstances might not change. They had a supersized faith thing going. And they were still battling tribulations and hassles. So it's not a marker. It's important for us to understand that trouble in a believer's life is not evidence of God's absence or his powerlessness. It's just the opposite. I want to take you on a far deeper journey into the reality of this this morning. Not only was their faith supersized, but it says their love was increasing or literally was being dispersed. It, It was landing all over everybody. It was a kind of contagious characterization of the whole church. They they just loved each other. It was being noticed. Now, by the way, when you do that, that kind of transparency, putting yourself right out there, risking love, you're risking being hurt, too. Because the people you love will turn around and hurt you. That doesn't mean you back off and say, okay, well, you know what, I've tried that. I'm never going to get burned in that again. I'm not going to risk loving. you." Yeah, no, no, this is what they're being commended for. You may get hassles and troubles, your heart may be broken because you put yourself out there and you, you really, really offered your love to everybody and it didn't come back. In fact, some people you, you were really shocked about, they just stuck a knife in your back and twisted it. That's that's what we're talking about here in, in tribulations and trials and persecutions and hassles in the Christian journey. He defines it here, persecutions. That's literally the word for like being hassled just because you're a Christian. You're being persecuted just because you're naming the name of Christ. In the workplace, your neighborhood, among your family members... Just because you've spoken for the name of Christ, tribulations—the word trials here is really the word tribulations. When we talk about tribulations, sometimes we think about there's this one grand tribulation. That's word. No, there's tribulations. There's always tribulations in the family of among the family of God. That, that's what it means to be a, a part of the kingdom of Christ—a kingdom that's in conflict with the kingdom of evil. This simply means the general hassles and horrors of life because we live in a fallen, broken, evil world. And it's the hardest time to re- remain faithful. It's the hardest time to trust God. That's why he's so excited about them, these fledgling brand new believers and their, tr- their trust in Jesus is, is being supersized. He said, i got to brag on you about that. Because it is the kind of the dividing, the the watershed mark between the authentic and the unreal. Those who are not really Christ's. they, They bail when all the hassles and tribulations and obstructions and persecutions fall. Because they go looking for something else to trust. You see, when the immediate relief does not come, when changes don't take place as soon as you hope they will, then you start to say, well, maybe God can't help me. Maybe he's kind and good, but maybe he's powerless and weak. I've got to go find something that's powerful. They look for something else to trust. Someone else to trust. That you hang in there, Paul says, is evidence... That you really are the family of God. And he says a little more than that in verse 5. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Judgment about what? His judgment about you. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Not you will earn the kingdom of God. You will be counted, declared worthy. Although the troubles, by the way, seem to, the, the, the second reality in this, although the troubles seem to deny the righteous judgment of God, he isn't judging right now. He's gathering evidence. That's what the text says. All this is evidence. We need to understand this about God. Some "Why am I? why am I in the midst of this hassle being pelted all the time? Because I was, I was brought up, I don't know about you, but I was brought up on immediate justice. Were you you guys brought up on immediate justice? I was brought up on immediate justice. It wasn't like, my mother never said, hey, wait till your father gets home. That never happened in our house. I didn't have to wait till my father got home. There was like immediate justice. She could take care of it herself. Thank you very much. And so I I grew up like probably most of you here. We realize, you know, if something's done wrong and and, and, uh, it needs to be dealt with and needs to be punished and made right, like it's dealt with right now. And we thought, we grew up thinking, well, maybe God's like that. And then you find out, no, no, he, he doesn't settle all of his accounts Saturday night. We wish he would. But then again, you know, as I thought more about that, don't you think it's really good that he didn't do that? Because there wouldn't be a one of us in this room this morning if God meted out judgment on sin immediately. It says in the scriptures that uh, this is the time where God is being patient not judging. Sometimes, we, you know, our favorite verse, John 3.16, we forget about John 3.17. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is not the time of judgment. This is a time of patience. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him. That's the time we're living in. So if you don't see everything being settled all around you, on, like your mom took care of things, or like your father took care of things, that's because... Um, God is patient right now. But not slack. Patient. And thank God that he is. And as I read on though there's hope, you know. Because in all of this injustice around us or injustice around you or you feel like, hey, you know what? I'm not getting rewarded for living righteously. I'm getting just the opposite. And then you read verse 6. God is just. And here it is explained for us. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. Uh, The second major emphasis here is about hope. Hope is because God is just. The time of his righteous judgment will come when Christ is finally revealed. Aren't you glad to know there is a termination date of all the hassles and, and tribulations and trials and obstructions that are around you. There is a, 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 a termination date. God, uh, God's justice is scheduled. In fact, uh, it's already circled on the divine calendar as thing to things to do. to settle accounts. That's why we're not invited to take vengeance upon ourselves. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 35, it says there that God it is for God to avenge. In Romans 12, 19, carried on in the New Testament, the same reality. God does not trust us with revenge. He doesn't trust us with judgment. He doesn't trust us with vengeance. But for all who are troubling and opposing God, those called sinners always hope to escape the consequences of their misdeeds, but I find in this text they will not. So for all those people who have treated you like the newspaper at the bottom of the hamster cage of life, you need to be, take heart. Because things are going to change. There's going to be a switch. There's going to be a turnaround here. And, and when should we expect it? I said it's not going to happen this coming Saturday night necessarily, although it could. When's it going to happen? It says this will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, or the angels of his power, depending on how you would interpret that uh, statement. Uh, but this will happen at the apocalypsis, the revealing of Jesus, a different word than the parousia that we've been talking about the last few weeks. I, I don't know if there's a distinction to be made there in terms of, of, of what's actually happening, but let's, let's understand that the word here is the apocalypsis. It's the unveiling or the uncovering of Jesus Christ. When is justice going to finally take place? It is when Jesus reveals himself visibly to everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. When Jesus, who has been away for 2,000 years, finally comes and shows himself, The invisible Christ comes and visibly presents himself. That's when righteous judgment will occur. What is this judgment and justice going to look like? I know what I'd like it to look like. I was um, driving Bronwyn back uh, Friday or Saturday or whenever it was in the am i suspect i'm just forgetting which it was friday am i think and I, I was switching the radio around and the only thing you can get down there is country music you know I, I, you know you know i don't like country music but but you know at that hour of the night you got to find something that'll keep you awake even if it's hostility you know turn on the radio and say i don't like this music so it's you know, fired it up and it'll keep me awake but anyway this song came on that i saw was like totally appropriate it, it kind of expresses me, and I don't want you to be nervous about this, okay, as I, as I share with you this country song. But, but it, it, it's, it just spoke to me. It's, it was written by this guy named Jaron, and it's called The Long Road of Love, or The Long Road to Love. Now, check this out. Now, the first line doesn't really work for me. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. You know, I get paid to come to church, so that line doesn't work for me. But, <laughs> but, but it says, I, 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 here's the song. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when, Things were going great till they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and you just pray for them. And then he goes on. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. (laughs) I I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all the dreams never come true. And, and I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. <laughs> I, 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 and I was just loving this song. I was thinking, you know, this is almost a gospel song. This, this, is, this, is, this is a song that I could get into. You know, I might become a redneck after all. I, I'm really glad I found my way to church. Because I'm already feeling better, and I thank God for the words. Yeah, I'm going to take the high road and do what the preacher told me to do. You keep messing up, and I'll keep praying for you. I pray your tire blows out at 110. And then he goes on does the same chorus again. I pray you pass out drunk with your best friend and wake up with his, his or her tattoos. And then he says, just know whenever you are, near or far, in your house or in your car, wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. I pray for you. So there you go. A new take on prayer. The prayer of justice. However, it is not a gospel song. And it is not of God. And although I kind of got into it a little bit, I realized as I studied the scripture text that that's not what God's teaching. God is talking here about the law of compensation. He says, he'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. You know what the big hope here, the great hope here, is that God will compensate people for their damages in his perfection. There's a law of harvest here that God will mete out just desserts. What a man or a woman sows, that, will, that, that man or woman will reap. And here, here's what it looks like. It, it looks like here the tables will turn. The troublers will get trouble, and the troubled will get relief. But it's God's work to do. But but this is even greater and bigger than just that. Because what I find out in the reality of this is that, that when we think all of these trials and troubles and tribulations and obstacles and hassles are just a waste, quite the opposite. God takes trouble to the, for the troubled and he turns it into an instrument to make us into stronger disciples of his. He gives us supersized faith and our our love increases. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, my brothers and my sisters, count it all joy when when hassles come your way. (laughs) Because God is building your character. He's building something into you. He he not only takes the the trouble and makes it an instrument to make something of our lives, but he, he uses it as evidence to declare us worthy. We're suffering unworthily if we are living a righteous life. And since we're unworthy to suffer, God turns this around and says, this is evidence. This is is how he demonstrates to the onlooking principalities, the evil principalities, and the demons and all and Satan and all who are watching and looking at his church. And he's saying, look at this. Look at this church in Thessalonica. This is evidence. This is why I brought them to my heart. I'm demonstrating my great power in their lives to persevere, to have supersized faith, and to have their love lavished on each other. Counted worthy. We don't earn a commendation from Christ. We we aren't earning somehow our salvation. Nothing of that is being said here. It is the declaration of our salvation is being demonstrated as legitimate. They're the real deal. And uh, the table turns, though, for the troublers. In the case of the troublers, this is evidence that he uses for their condemnation. They will not be able to deny He uses the instrument of trouble on them. This is where we tend to get squeamish as Christians. Especially because we've been so inundated with the love everybody, the universalistic kind of language, and God's going to, everything's going to be okay and all of that. No, everything's not going to be okay. And as someone reminded me this morning, my responsibility is the watchman in Ezekiel. The watchman stands in the tower and he says when trouble is coming, he tells the people about it. Otherwise, their blood is on him. But here's what it says. And they will be punished, verse 8, verse 9, with everlasting destruction. This is the third major reality in this text. Hell is everlasting destruction, a a place of punishment. It's not annihilation. It's everlasting like everlasting life. It's forever life. It's forever ruin. And and he describes who's there. It's a place of punishment. He says in verse uh, verse 8, "...those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus." It's a place of punishment only for those who do not know the God they chose to ignore and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus they chose to reject. Now now what does this mean, that they do not know God? This is this general statement of general revelation of God that Paul writes to the same thing in Romans chapter 1. Although they knew God, because they could see evidence of Him. The, The creation itself advertises the reality of God. It declares the glory of God. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks. They didn't honor him as God. They didn't treat him as if he was God. That's what it means to really know God, is to know God, is to know him relationally, that he is our Father, he is God in our lives, he is the Lord of our lives. That's what it means to know God, to know about God. And then to choose not to know God is the indictment of all, the the, the audacity of all the ages. This general revelation that has gone out to all men so that they can have a relationship with God is expressed here that he will punish those who do not know God. Secondly, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is a specific revelation of Jesus Christ. They've somehow chosen to bypass it, to reject it, to refuse it. It, It's described in in verse 10 of the next chapter in Thessalonians, chapter 2. And it it, it says, they perished because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. The message of Easter has simply been discarded by these people. They, they have lived a life whereby they have pushed aside, pushed away the knowledge of God that is granted to everyone and said, I don't want that and I don't want the God that represents that. They have ignored the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the specific way they could be saved and come into a relationship with Him. They said, No, I don't want that. I don't want my life to change. I want to live my life myself. Thank you very much. And what hell is, is okay, God finally says, Okay, have it all yourself. I'm leaving. Shut out, it says there, of the presence of God and the majesty of his power. Hell is the total expression of what unbelievers want: no God to impact them. They've chosen not to know him, they won't have him. They've chosen not to be saved. By him, they will not be saved by him. This acquiring culture, consuming culture, will know what it is to have complete, total, utter absence of everything that makes life worth living. This is the message that we try to un- help people to understand. There are people who are choosing to get the ultimate punishment of not having God. Everybody who walks around you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, within your family, who pre- even now who presently doesn't know God, still has the influence and impact of God in their lives. But that will be the ultimate of shutting God out. He absents himself totally, and they are left without anything that's a connection to God. Being absorbed into an environment devoid of anything God can bring. The scriptures tell us that every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above, the Father of lights. That means that there will be no good and perfect gifts. This is why there is an urgency in the room this morning about this reality. If you know about God, and you have heard the reality of his gospel, his good news presentation, that Jesus Christ will bring you into his family, forgive you of your sins. And you purposely push that away and reject it. This is the end result. This is why there's an urgency. I trust within Calvary Baptist Church to take care of the realities of our of our. City and our region and our world and take this message of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world because this is the truth. That there will come ultimately a time where the, 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 the shutout takes place. But he says to you who love Christ On that day for you, it will not be Christ being shut out of you forever. It will be quite the opposite. He comes, verse 10, to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. The big hope is this, that someday we'll be reflecting the glory of Christ and being lost in the amazement of His splendor. This is the reality for those. The contrast is so extreme. The contrast of being shut out of the presence of God forever to everlasting ruin and punishment uh, to having uh, the the great appearance and revelation of Jesus Christ who comes to be glorified in us and for us to experience the majesty of His power, the splendor of all of that if we could somehow get our minds wrapped around the glory of that moment when Christ comes for us and we see him as he is, all that the Holy Spirit's been doing in our lives to grow us, to reflect the the nature of Christ and to be more and more Christ-like, in that moment, it will be a completely done deal. We will reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. We will glorify him. The only way I can think of it is, it, the description is, you know when the TV is shining and, and the sun shines in the room and the sun shines on the TV screen, you no longer can see anything on the screen? That's what it's going to be like. We may be reflecting some of the glory of Christ right now, some of us more than others, but when Jesus Christ is revealed from glory and comes and, and the apocalypsis takes place, the full impact of the, of the glory and brightness of Jesus Christ will be reflected off of all of those who are his. So that no longer will we be seen. It will be like just the glory and brightness and amazement of Christ. And the only way that Paul can describe it there in indescribable words is we will be in awe of this marvelous, splendorous moment it will be so marvelous. We will, I, I, there's no human way to describe this. This will be the most amazing moment of your entire existence. It will be like, I can't believe this. There is nothing I could ever describe like this. That's the contrast in this letter. There is trouble that you are enduring. Against the incredible weight of the glory of Christ. Which Paul writes to the Corinthians about as well. And Paul is trying to say that God is helping you now. And there are people around and, and, and sadly who are rejecting God. And the ultimate separation point, the ultimate contrast is to have the total absence of God over against what you are going to get. Which is the total fullness of Christ. Christ in all of his amazing glory at his unveiling, at his apocalypsis and you will just be marveling. This is our message to people. Is it this? Or is it this? So the trouble now, the hassles now, that little bit of stuff that seems so massive is nothing, and you will be strengthened for this. We are all on a journey home, you know. That's what tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. You were were brought in the family of God for this very purpose, that you be with Jesus forever. We are all on a journey home. In the meantime, we do a little bit of ministry until Jesus decides to bring us home. Paul said, here's why you should all be excited. This includes you. Because you believed our testimony to you. Why should you have confidence, Paul says? Why should you have big hope? Because you have believed this to be true. And by faith. You are part of God's great future. So keep your supersized faith thing going through God's strength. Keep your love dispersing. Risk being hurt. Because you have an appointment with Jesus Christ that's going to be out of this world, not possible to describe. That's what you call big hope. I can't help but think that the... Um, the the uh, slogan of our city is Oshawa. Prepare to be amazed. This is prepared to be amazed. This is the coming, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. That's prepare to be amazed. That's what Paul's saying. Father, thank you for this truth. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that by your strength and energy and power, you will lock it down into our hearts so that we will be stubborn in our faith and absolutely committed to loving those around us in spite of the look of the landscape. And that our hearts will be um, burdened for those who are lost. And that, Lord, we will recognize that the great peril of rejecting so great a salvation. And then I pray, Father, that all of these hassles will be put over against the eternal weight of glory. Of the revealing of Christ. The appointment that we have circled on the divine calendar on the to-do list because God is just. He will not forget those who are His. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. We did it. We praised Him in spite of all the circumstances that are going around. That's what we just did. That's what we will do. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? All of these trials and these tribulations, he's told us about in advance. You will have them. But Jesus Christ is the overcomer. And he invites us to be part of that overcoming family. And I would encourage you, if you're not part of the family of God, you rush down here to the front and talk to me or one of the other pastors this morning, and let's talk about you coming to Christ, you coming to a salvation uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have trials or tribulations or hassles and you want someone to pray with you, you come on down here this this morning after the service as well. We We would love to pray with you. But in the meantime, let's praise our great God and let's know He's totally aware of what's going on. Our God is just. He will turn the tables and He will benefit those who are His when He is revealed and it will be amazing. We can't even tell each other what it will be like. We just wait with anticipation and great glory. Father, thank you for all that you've promised to us. We want to have supersized faith, Lord, to trust you more. We want you you to cause us to love you more, Lord, in the midst of all of these things because we want to bring honor and glory to you as we look forward to that day when Christ will come, and he will come. He will come and reveal himself, and we will reflect the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ will be in us. And we will marvel those who have believed in the truth of the gospel. Thank you for this truth, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.